Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Wall streaking. The Dow, NASDAQ, Whoa. and S&P all riding seven-week heaters into the weekend. This week, nearly 20% of the S&P hit 52-week highs. The 10-year now has a three-handle on it, and the VIX at one point dropped below 12. Can the good vibes last? We'll debate that. Plus, options action. FedEx has been delivering big returns of late ahead of earnings. Can it still be a stocking stuffer for your portfolio? We'll go inside the numbers. And later, traders set to take the wraps off their charts of the week, from burgers to builders to banks and beyond, the reveals and the reasons behind their calls. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Courtney Garcia, welcome back. Bonwin Eisen and Steve, I- Steve Brasser. <laughs> I almost renamed you. (laughs) And we start with a historic week for markets. While the major averages were muted today, the Dow managed to notch a record close for the third straight session. It is up 15% from its October lows, while the Nasdaq is up nearly 18%, all three indices closing out their seventh straight week of gains. Even with today's slight loss, the S&P put in its longest weekly winning streak since October of 2017. So how long can this seemingly hated rally keep rolling on. And of course, the uh, the other backdrop to today's action is we had two Fed speakers today, Tim, trying to right. put dial back. Exactly. Yeah. Just a little <laughs> Good bit. Good luck. Yeah, and it didn't really work. Well, it, look, when, when we got those dot plots early in the week, and I know people glaze over about this stuff because we've been doing this for so long, but there were no dots higher than where we are today. And in fact, all but two actually have things significantly lower next year. So um, this is, you say what you want, um, but we now, we have that look into into the room. We we have a pretty good understanding. Um, and, and back to the markets, well, this has been historic by a lot of different measures, but almost by any measure, and 15.5% on the S&P, really since that market turn on the 26th into the 27th. What's probably most interesting is that you have the Dow Jones now really outperforming, and we kind of poo-poo the Dow, uh, but the Dow certainly is, it is revenge of the industrials, and that's what it feels like. And I think between airlines and between some of the shippers and some other parts of, of that, that complex, I actually do think you can get more outperformance. I think if you think about uh, where we are in terms of overbought, Steve likes to talk about this stuff. I think we all kind of look at uh, momentum in the markets. Overbought conditions can can get worked off pretty quickly. But at one point today, coming into today, the Dow was at a 90 RSI, nine-day RSI, which means the relative strength indicator of this was as oversold as I've seen it going back five years. So, uh, you know, just where we are here, and ultimately, I think what the Fed did this week is they opened, really, the doorway to other asset classes, and we're going to talk about those in our charts. I'm sure everyone's got a slightly different interpretation of this, but um, uh, huge week. Can I ask before we move on, show of hands, Mm. who thinks we're going to rally into your end? Raise your hand. Everybody. So the question is, after the 31st of this year, if we rally into year end, Courtney, do you think we're just sort of setting up for disappointment next year? There are a lot of things that have to go right next year in terms of the soft landing scenario or narrative um, that needs to happen in order for this rally to be validated. We're definitely setting a higher bar, right? I mean, a lot of this was priced in even before the Fed came out this week and said that, well, they didn't say, but it indicated that they're going to be pivoting. Um, so the bar is higher, but I do think that we're going to continue to see a good year next year. Realistically, I would have thought this would have happened earlier this year. There was this perfect setup for all of these value companies to outperform after there was a tech outperformance. But then AI was the big craze this year, and we kind of set that along the sidelines. But now we're finally seeing that, and I think we're just starting to see it come back around. But a lot of these things, though they're rallying now, are still barely up for the year. And so they still have a lot of room to run, and I think we're going to continue to see that early next year. 
I think there's room to run. I remember a couple of shows back, I said, I'm begrudgingly finding ways to get long exposure. Mm -hmm. And it's been painful, but at sometimes you have to determine whether you want to be right or whether you want to make money. And sometimes you have to just eat some humble pie and get involved. So I do think when you have people like me that have found various ways and interpretations of why there is a bear case to this market. I think when you start to see those people capitulate, I, I do think it should give you pause. We're still seeing the VIX at very subdued levels. And then going into next year, I, it really feels like there is no more possible pricing of the Goldilocks scenario. Even going into this, the Fed was still saying, or the rhetoric was, higher for, for longer. The dot plots now say the exact opposite of that. So I wonder, what is the next thing to take us higher? We have AI. We have now uh, cryptocurrencies that are rallying. We have a a robust and resilient housing uh, economy. We have a bounce back in the regional banking system that had some contagion. So all of the pockets where we thought that there there was some concern, there has seemed to be some resilience. What is the next driver? And with the VIX where it is, it definitely gives me caution to just go in full steam ahead without at least taking some of that into consideration. Yeah, so so last week when Carter was on, we had said, what what was the next leg higher? Mm -hmm. And it was when the bears capitulate. So to Bonowin's point, when you see people throw in the towel and say, you know what, I was wrong, the market's going higher, then that's your pause. And the Fed, they, they didn't walk back on stopping to, to hike. They walked back on cutting. That, to me, is still positive. We're still at the end of the rate hiking cycle, which means that the markets can go higher. So once they peak, I think Goldman put out the average, the average increase in the markets was 18% once rates have peaked. Well, we've peaked. We still have more upside to go. The thing, you know, about this rally is that it's it's really predicated on this on this notion that the Fed will, in fact, cut rates. Wall Street's getting all giddy over three rate cuts next year. And that has to happen in order for that to happen. Inflation has to keep coming down. I would think oil prices have to remain low. The consumer shows no stopping at this point. Why are we to believe that inflation is actually in check? I'm not trying to be a bear here. I'm just trying to put out these points. Oh, it's well, it's. Absolutely. Figure this out here. Yeah, I, I think it, it's it's important to point out that the Fed is is I, I think we have some sticky inflation here, especially in the services side of it. Uh, if you look at where jobs are and we look at at least where wages are in some of the recent prints, uh, the wage component and the work week have been better. Um, think about the economy we printed in the third quarter. And, and that's really why equities are having a good time here, because the economy is in a pretty good place and infl- inflation is falling faster than the economy. Um, if you think about where the growth has come from, this is where I think you should get more most concerned because the, the growth, there's there's the MAG-7 and then there's the SAD 493. You know, I mean, you have this whole, uh, and, and and the 493 have really been part of where the excitement is. And this is this is where I would get back to. I mean, look at the week that, that airlines have had, look at the week that the autos have had. Um, and, and there are, of course, reasons why in both of those sectors that you have reason to feel like you've gotten some clarity and you've gotten past some some periods of, of uncertainty. But but there, there to me, there is a dynamic where I think there's a limit to how much farther we can trade lower. I go back to the the three things that 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 really I thought were the biggest ingredients in why rates were going higher. And that is an enormous amount of supply that is less buying. And that is a dynamic where I just think you you still have some at least latent inflation that that the Fed you know is still not comfortable with. Um, these are ingredients that tell me that that, that 10 year. Look, I think, you know, we, we've overreacted to the upside. I think we probably overreacted to the downside. I think you're going to settle in here. 
Look at, look, yeah, look at eggs. Eggs are half the price. So getting back to, to the question about inflation, eggs are half the price. Gasoline went from How much five, are eggs, Steve? $5, about <laughs> six bucks now. So no, Six bucks a dozen? They're or, less. Organic. I don't, are you don't going organic? This, don't put me on the spot. I don't pay for the organic well, eggs. I think, it's a, I yeah, think it's a waste I, I, of money. Well, you can get eggs for two ninety nine. Yeah. Well, I don't want to catch them on anyway. the street falling out of a chicken. <laughs> so so the eggs are eggs down. are half the price. Uh, Gasoline yeah. went from five dollars a gallon sure. to three dollars a gallon. Oil. That cost. Costco talked about that last night. Right. They, said they hey, look, see inflation zero to one percent next year. And look at lumber. Do you remember the chart on lumber? It looked like Mount Everest. It was sixteen hundred dollars. Now it's got a five hundred handle on it. So there are pockets of deflation, strong pockets of deflation that the average person cares about. So that's where, and, and if you listen to Janet Yellen, she said there's still a cash hoard. I don't know about that, but people still have their jobs. The job market is still strong. Yeah. I, I would argue that we're seeing some disinflation in pockets. I, I, I can't quite get on the deflation boat. Now, well, I, I will say, is the Fed going to cut because of economic weakness, possible recession? We're saying, they're saying no. But you still see retail spending strong. You still see GDP resilience, which means that if they're cutting, it is to continue to spur growth, which I believe by definition is inflationary. So that back to back to Steve and both Tim's point, that is where the sticky and I believe your point as well. That's where the sticky inflation might rear its head. And I think that is the wild card that is not being priced in. That and they start cutting and inflation comes back? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's why, that's why you get the rhetoric we had today. I mean, they're, they're in no position to really be dialing back. Yeah. They're in no position to be cutting right now, even though we know what, what, the, what the market's done. Um, we, had a, 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 we had a composite uh, PMI today. So you have services and manufacturing. Manufacturing gets worse and worse every month, it seems. Uh, I know we're not a manufacturing economy, but those are some of the ingredients that at, at least I think people point to. The services side of it wasn't that robust. Um, so... so you're getting you're getting prints. Look, leading indicators continue to tell us that the market's going to go to a recession. And and if you look at history, this is this is where it is. So um, back to I think Bono, and where you're you're kind of trying to surmise is the Fed uh, moving to offset significant weakness? Or are they moving because they feel that inflation is is back to their target? And and I, I you know I think the reality is that it's going to be because of weaker growth. If anything, that's what's going to be driving the Fed to pull back. Yeah. Uh, what are you hearing from your clients in terms of the ones that have been sitting in bonds? Is there any willingness, is there any desire at this point to put that money into markets? Not a ton. Um, what I'm hearing more so, and I think we'll probably get into this more, is the cash that people have on hand. Yep. Um, people are finally getting on board with, okay, maybe we should start looking into, the, into some intermediate bonds. Because as great as the money market rate is that you're getting right now, I think people forget, oh, but you pay tax on that money. And it's probably going to go down next year. And so everybody's finally realizing you have to do something with it. Um, I'm getting a lot more interest in bonds and equities, um, whether that's my recommendation always or not. But people are definitely still conservative right now, to say right. the least. Well, actually, investors are sashing nearly $6 trillion in money market funds as high interest rates gave those instruments better returns in the stock market. But if borrowing costs fall in 2024, will that hoard of cash make its way back into equities and push the markets higher? Our next guest says history could be telling otherwise. Let's bring in Adam Turnquist, chief technical strategist at LPL Financial. Adam, great to have you with us. You actually wrote about this in August. I thought this was really interesting, the chart, because you, you find that it's, it's not now. People aren't going to be cycling back into equities right now. That's the message history has told us. When you look at the Previous four major peaks in money market assets, they really did not start to roll over until we are well into the rate, rate cutting cycle. I'm still getting used to saying rate cuts after the last year here, but that's really been the trend in history. And I don't see any slowdown. If you look just at November 
fund flows into money market assets. You had 200 billion going into money market assets despite rates coming down. So that trend is still up for now. I, I do think that you'll have some flows coming into equity markets, of course, and support the market, especially a lot of offsides positioning. There's confidence in this market as well. And I think we've seen the highs for interest rates. So supportive for the market, but I don't think it's worth holding your breath for an imminent trend change here with fund flows into money markets. But Adam, and I, I, I agree with you. I see it with my clients. Um, I think you also, though, have a dynamic. How, how do folks feeling about having, do they feel like they've missed a, a move in the markets? And, and if you think about the intensity of where and how quick the velocity of the move higher, which got a lot of people off the sidelines. It's, and as Courtney referenced, too, it's, it's great to earn, you know, 3 to 5% in the front end of the Treasury curve. Um, but, but at some point, equities outperform over time. And, and, and so when you see this kind of a move in markets, it's hard to feel great here if, in fact, you've been cashed up. Yeah, and the other opportunity cost is not locking in some of these yields right now that you're seeing in the market. So if you're missing on both ends, if you're missing that equity market rally and some of this rally that we've seen in treasuries, we think and we've been telling our investors and and clients to really lock in some rates. You don't need to go far out on the curve. You don't need to take additional credit risk into high yield. Lock some of these rates in now. We think, again, that the upside in yields is likely capped as we look ahead to 2024. Is there data, Adam, on where that money actually goes when it goes from a money market or or treasury bonds? I mean, I'm sure not a lot of it goes straight into equities. Some of it must go elsewhere, like maybe corporate, some sort of intermediate step. I think if you think about fund flows, fixed income is probably going to be first downstream coming out of money markets. If you think about the investors that are sitting in money markets, I think from a comfortable standpoint, I, I think, you know, again, they're, they're probably going to move into more of a fixed income, safer security versus chasing this equity market rally. In terms of data, we did see some pretty good evidence of fund flows coming back into U.S. equities just over the last week, of course, powering this rally that we've seen broaden out significantly over the last several weeks. All right, Adam, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate right, it. Thanks. Um, Bono, and you were mentioning before that you're finding ways to get constructive in these markets, although... It's tough for you to do that mentally. (laughs) Are you using the fact that the volatility is so low to use options positions instead of going all out in equities? I definitely think that's the way to play it. It gives you that downside protection. You're able to take advantage of of, of very subdued volatility. And if you do get outsized moves, you're you're participating at a very large clip. You're paying like very little in terms of market participation without taking on risk. I think we're, we all agree the risk reward as we continue to march higher mm-hmm. is more skewed to the downside. I guess my, my question against that or my argument against that would be that we're finally seeing this earnings recession is probably turning a corner here. And I think that's hopefully what we'll see the early next year. But if that turns around, I mean, does that change your opinion at all of where the markets are going long term? Uh, it also depends on rates. The thing is, like rates historically, I mean, sorry, uh, risk-free rates historically are st- the last 20 years are still quite high. So I would argue being long options, which still gives you that upside and still continuing to earn risk-free, that pairing is pretty compelling to me. If we think about what, what pushed all that money into money markets, it was the failure of the regional banks. People got nervous. They wanted a return on their money. They never had it before. For years, we haven't been earning anything. Now they have a 5% or a 4% or whatever the case might be. So you're going to your point. You're going to have people go out and say, I, I want to own the 10-year now. So not all of it's going to come back. Maybe some of it stays where it's at right now. A lot of corporations keep it there just like cash, and they're earning something. But markets on average are up 10% a year. So 
Stop picking whether you're getting in at the lows, getting out the highs, wherever you are on your time horizon, you can pull the money back and go safety. But markets are on a- up on average 10 percent a year. You're still beating that. All right. We've got a news alert here on Apple shares modestly lower after reports China is accelerating its iPhone ban across government and state firms. Reports say this broader, uh, more coordinated effort is part of Beijing's push to wean itself off of American technology. Um, We knew about some level of ban, shadow ban uh, within the government, within the Chinese government. But this does seem to be widening in terms of geographic reach and in terms of the kinds of firms being asked to dial back from American technology. Yeah, it's not just American technology technology, too. It's also Samsung that's in the crossfire here. And, and it, it also coincides with a, with kind of a resurgent Huawei, you know, and where they actually have been able to put products out there that have been wildly popular. So the local national champion is is now a competitive force. Look, this also comes a week after Gina Raimondo has, was out there basically saying China is our enemy. Um, and this is after all of these, uh, you know, the summit uh, with Xi and, and, and Biden on the West Coast, but also Multiple trips that, that mm-hmm. including you know, the secretary, uh, to, to go to, to Beijing. So I just think that some of this is trying to push him back. Um, and, and look, when Apple was 30 points lower, um, we, we talked about how this was a threat to Apple. So, so now that Apple's effectively at all-time highs, it should seemingly for the stock be a bigger threat. Um, and I, look, I was one of the people that I said I thought Apple could go lower. I think it can go lower. I think we're in a period where the market has gone higher. It's all about uh, five or six or seven stocks. Apple is the biggest holding in the world. Um, but I do think that Apple is vulnerable, and I think it's vulnerable on multiple and, and less about China. But this isn't news that helps. Yeah. What do you think of Apple here? I mean, on a relative basis, that it really hasn't had that great of a week. I think it's up 2 3% for the week when everything has seemingly levitated and the, the higher beta stuff has really taken a jump. You know, you look at the regional banks or you look at some of the solar companies. I mean, all around, you've really seen things flow in. So to Tim's point, Apple has kind of moved higher with the market. If you want to argue Apple, in fact, is the market. Um, but I don't think you've seen outperformance by any stretch of the imagination, even if you look at the equal weighted S&P. All right. Up next, we're taking a trip around the world from Mexico to Brazil and beyond. If you're worried that the rally in the U.S. is running out of steam, should you be sending your money on an international voyage? Plus, could this high-flying semi actually be the cheapest chip around? One of the street's top analysts set to join us to make his case on why NVIDIA is a budget buy. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee, right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Emerging markets emerging as a serious opportunity into year-end. Mexico and India with particularly strong showings, both the EWW and IND ET- INDA ETFs hitting new 52-week highs, outpacing the S&P in December. So if domestic markets slow, are there more attractive alternatives overseas? Part of the equation, too, is the dollar, I would imagine, Tim. But what do you, what do you think about overseas versus U.S.? Well, overseas, there's developed, and then there's emerging, and then there's some hybrid. And, and you know, I advise on an ETF that's a, some hybrid of both. I actually think the opportunities right now are, are everywhere. And, and I look at Japan. Japan this week had a Tankan report. This is kind of like their state of the economy. And if you saw the consumption trends, there are 32-year highs. You've got uh, forced corporate governance from the, T, the TSX. You've got reflation, the end of YCC. Japan's booming. It's going to boom. The DAX, all-time highs. And, and again, companies like Siemens, 
they are a digital company. They are a tech company. They are on top of everything. But like back to Brazil, they cut rates this week. The Salique rate was cut. Um, if you have an environment in the U.S. where you don't have a growth scare and yet you've got falling rates and falling inflation, this is a sweet spot for emerging. Remember, um, if the Fed starts cutting out of weakness, emerging is going to sell. Um, but the currencies are usually where you make a lot of money, as you said. I think the dollar, I'm arguing and I have, the dollar's been in a 13-year bear market. Uh, it peaked last summer. Um, since that time, by the way, since the dollar peaked at the end of last summer, the Euro stocks 50 has outperformed the S&P by 21%. So um, you do get that tailwind from the currency, and I think, I think we have it. Your next name on the show is Ambassador for yes. a reason, um, because you're expertise in emerging markets. What is your favorite right now? I'll tell you what, overweight Brazil, um, overweight Mexico, uh, like India. And, and again, I really I mean, so and then in the developed world, uh, love Japan, love the energy super cycle as it pertains to European integrateds. I think they actually break even at cheaper levels than the U.S. Uh, integrateds do. Um, but again, Latin America right now, you don't have to own China. And that's why the EEM or the VWO have really underperformed because that's 45 percent China. Yeah. Courtney, you like emerging markets, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and China has been the big story. It's almost when we talk about emerging markets, we talk about China, because to your point, it's such a large part of the index. That's where I think India probably is going to be that next conversation. I mean, they just surpassed China with the largest population, now the fifth largest economy in the world. They were only the 10th about a decade ago. Their um, average age there is like 28, which is a decade, uh, about 10 years younger than the average age in China. So when you're looking at where is the money going, where is the economy going, they're going to be a huge economy. And even you were talking about Apple and how China might be banning iPhones. They've already realized this. They're not only moving production to India, but that they're expecting that that's going to be a big part of their revenue going forward is that that um, part of the world. And I think that's something you definitely want to take advantage of. Yeah, I think Mexico makes a pretty strong, compelling case in terms of GDP growth. I think it's about four and a half, five percent. I think their risk-free rates around or prime rates around 11 and a quarter. So all compelling dynamics here, particularly if you're looking for some alternative to the U.S. With that said, I just have to put out the disclaimer. There has been, over the course of history, a value trap when it comes to EFA or European spread versus the U.S. market. There are times there are times where that looks cheap, but over the long run, there is always an issue and a dynamic where the U.S. trades at a premium, and that's for a reason because of a leveraged technology versus banking and old industry. So. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Earnings options, a number of key names gearing up to report next week. And Professor Ko has the down low on one delivery name. The transport trade is next. Plus, it may be trading near all-time highs, but one chip stock may actually be cheaper than its cheap peers. Trust us, you won't believe what it is. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money, a big slate of earnings on deck next week. Transports, tech, staples, retail, you name it, it's covered. And the options pits are lighting up ahead of some of these key reports. Mike Coe's got all the action and also delivering a trade on one of these names. That's a hint. Mike? Yeah, so we're taking a look at three names, all three of which are in our portfolio, actually. Micron Technology, the first one, that one is implying a move of about 5% higher or lower after they report earnings. Nike moving probably a little bit more options market implying a move of about 5.7% and FedEx has an implied move of about 4.8%. That's the one we're actually going to take a look at. The good news is this is a company that has really been aggressively trying to cut costs with their drive program, which covers a number of key operational areas. 
And then after 2024, Network 2.0 is probably another $2 billion in potential savings if they do that. The bad news is, of course, you can't cut your way to growth, and the top line really hasn't been growing that much. What's interesting here is that in the month following earnings, this company has moved on average about 8%, but we can actually spend just 4% to buy an upside call spread that goes out even further than that. I was looking at the February 280-320 call spread. That one's gonna cost just a little bit over $14, and that's actually slightly in the money. So you're looking at basically an upside break-even of just 4% uh, to see profits on that trade. And of course, you are mitigating your risk to the downside if the results are disappointing. And anybody who saw how this company did in late 2022 around the September earnings knows just how painful that can be because it had a big drop at that time. Yeah. How are we feeling about FedEx and UPS? UPS, as I understand, are giving rebates to a lot of customers, so there could be some pricing pressure. I want to see if FedEx can, can remain firm on that. that well, that, that's really what it is, because a year ago at this time, they had not only they had pricing power and they were pushing through price increases. I, I think, you know, if we look at ground and we look at some of the integration of, of those businesses, I, I, you know, FedEx right now, the trends are good. And, and if you think about where this company was also four or five quarters back, this was clearly a prove me story. Stocks rallied about 30 percent since that market turn. I think these numbers are going to be solid. I actually think industrials like this continue to go higher. Uh, also, if FedEx didn't have the the uh, UPS union cost that that they had, and if it's outperformed, it's up 62 percent year to date, while UPS is down roughly six percent. And with gas coming in, that's another tailwind. So I agree with Tim. You don't want the cost cutting to be the main thing of the fundamentals, but that is definitely a tailwind right now. Industrials overall, overall though, have had pretty big rally since October lows or so, to your point about the value trade really coming back. I mean, we've seen mm-hmm. 16% gain on the industrials ETF. FedEx, of course, one of them that have gained. UPS also, I mean, it really fell off a cliff in October, gained it back. Yeah. In the meantime. Yeah, and I agree. I think we're going to really see these things turn back around. I think you're, you're just starting to see that. So I don't think you've missed the rally here. I do think you probably should have been investing these things as they came back around, because like always, that comes in before the news. You're going to see a lot of that price action already happen, and it has. But I don't think we're at the end of that. And I do think you want to make sure you have that position in your portfolio, because I think that's likely going to be the story, not only the end of this year, but as we go into 2024. UPS or FedEx, Bonwin? Uh, right now, I think UPS, actually. I've been looking at their relative value trade, and typically that spread is about two to three times in terms of uh, price to earnings over the course of history, or recent history, I should say. At 15 and a half and 16 and a half times, respectively, that's narrow to one. It has traded even, but I think you're getting to a point where maybe UPS starts to be where you should be parking that money. Well, that, I mean, this is one of those great pairs. And again, we, we talk about Target Walmart. We talk about UPS, you know. Coke, Pepsi sometimes. But I mean, in this case, you've actually seen FedEx outperform UPS by over 65% year to date. And, 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 and it made sense. And not only was UPS trading at a, at a premium, as it always does, but two turns above where it normally does, which is usually about four turns above FedEx. But again, this outperformance by FedEx is extraordinary, maybe on a relative value, even though it's more expensive. But back to relative terms. Yeah, makes sense. Coming up, chips on the cheap. A top analyst says one high-flying semi-stock could also be the most undervalued in the space. We'll sit down with the man behind that call next. Plus, why have one when you can have four? That's the attitude we're bringing to today's edition of Chart of the Week. One tasty, fast food rally and more coming up next. More Fast Money right after this. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, closing out at a historic week of gains, the Dow ending Friday at a record high, locking in its longest weekly winning streak since February of 2019. The S&P ending the week up 2.5% despite today's slight pullback, and the Nasdaq rising up 3% for the week. DocuSign shares surging nearly 12% after the Wall Street Journal reported that the software company is exploring a possible sale. The stock is still down 80% from its all-time high. Well, Bernstein Research reiterating its bullish call for NVIDIA today. The firm believes NVIDIA is the cheapest AI stock, which may sound counterintuitive. Shares are already up 235% so far this year and trading less than 3% from an all-time high. Bernstein's Stacey Raskin is behind that NVIDIA call. Stacey, great to have you on the show. Welcome. Good to be here. Good to be here. It does sound count. I mean, you think of NVIDIA as being the hottest AI play around, but yet when you take a look at forward valuations, it's actually trading cheaper than basically all of Many, it, if not all, of its peers at this point. It, it it really is, and so yeah, it feels a little weird to complain about the stock a stock that's 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 more than tripled year to date, right? Um, but while that's happened, like stocks up a bunch. Forward earnings estimates over the last year are up. I don't know, they've quadrupled. They're up four x or something. The multiple has actually been cut by two thirds. Nvidia today is trading under twenty five times. It hasn't traded there since the crypto bubble burst in in, in the end of twenty eighteen and. It's actually at a discount to the overall semiconductor industry. The stock, the SOX is at 26 times. That hasn't happened since 2014, when there was no data center story. Um, it is, in fact, the cheapest on a forward earnings basis, the cheapest of all the stocks you would think about as AI plays, AMD or, or Intel or maybe Marvell. NVIDIA's at 25 times. Intel's at like 26, if you can believe it. Marvell's, I don't know, 30 or something, and AMD's over 40 times earnings. Um, if those forward numbers are real, again, that, that's the worry. We, we can talk about that. Uh, but on the current sort of, you know, um, consensus estimates that are out there on a forward basis, NVIDIA is actually the cheapest of the AIs, and it's even cheaper than the broader semiconductor industry as a whole. Yeah. Uh, have we learned any? I mean, AMD has had a massive run in just the past, what, week to 10 yeah. days or so. Is there anything that we learn about AMD's product lineup that makes you think that perhaps money should go into AMD and that that rally and that that boost to the multiple is warranted. Yeah, so so let's talk about it. So, so why is NVIDIA so cheap? Because it feeds into that question. It's cheap because people are worried that the numbers are getting so big so quickly, you just worry about sustainability. And, you know, I'll make it up. Like the sell side's at 20 bucks in earnings or something for NVIDIA next year. And the, I think the buy side's closer to 25. And I think the worry is, you know, they'll do 25 next year, then maybe the year after that they'll do 15, right? There's a worry that there's, there's an air pocket out there. AMD, in context, they, they did something that, that was smart. They've, they've lashed onto this AI story. Um, they've got products that look reasonably credible. And they've given guidance. There's room to, to, to go up. I mean, they said they'll do more than $2 billion of revenue, AI revenue, next year. I mean, that number could be three or four. Um, it's a rounding error, <laughs> right? Like, if NVIDIA does $70 billion next year, that will be viewed as disappointing, um, so AMD has kind of left themselves room, and people have been migrating to that stock as sort of a way to play AI with maybe less perceived air pocket risk. Um, so now, whether that's justified is a whole other question. It's very, very expensive, but I understand why it's had the move that it has. So, Stacey, when you when you look at uh, NVIDIA, they have, I think it's 80 to 85 percent of the market, and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong on, on that market right there, but it's the, Melissa always says it's theirs to lose. Yes. Is this just sands through an hourglass right now waiting for them to lose that market share? Is it AMD, the closest runner up there, or is this, is this going to be spread around 
where we're going to have to figure out what the peripheral stocks to play off of the. I mean, there, there's a number of different competitors. So there are the other merchant suppliers like AMD or Intel, and AMD, to their credit, you know, has a roadmap with products on it. You know, Intel, we could we could argue. Um, there are uh, players like the hyperscalers, like like Google and the like, that are doing their own chips. That is not new, actually. Like Google's been doing their own for eight years, and in fact, they're they're quite a bit larger, I think, than anything you'd even see from AMD, but. It's only a piece of the, that store if you were going to buy one of those stocks. There's also a bunch of startups, which it's just really hard to get scale. I would say it's NVIDIA's game to lose, though. And, but, but what I like about NVIDIA is they are not like laying back and getting fat, dumb, and happy. right? They're continuing to push the envelope. They're investing. They're actually shaping the market. And they've actually, like, it, they're, they're accelerating their own product roadmap. So anything that's even out there today, even if we're competitive, like, it's not going to be competitive for long. NVIDIA's got like their, their next generation. It's called the H200. That launches in Q2 of next year. They've got an entirely new architecture. It's called Blackwell that launches in the second half of next year. Like this is a moving target. And NVIDIA, to their credit, they they are continuing to push that. If they screw something up, I mean, sure, but like they haven't screwed anything up yet. There are all these, you know, massive projections for total addressable market and and dollars to be spent on AI, Stacey. But at some point, Companies are going to have to think, am I getting a return on this investment? Sure. When do we hit that point where we're going to have to see that proof? Have we seen well, it already I, or is the jury still out? How long do companies spend before they say, what are we getting for this spend? Yeah. So you got to remember some of these big numbers we're seeing, like I think NVIDIA's, their current number is $300 billion. AMD said 400 At least NVIDIA's number I know includes, it's not just the, the chips, it's also the chips and the servers and the networking and all the infrastructure that goes. And they actually sell all of that stuff. So in that context, those numbers are not, in, they're not crazy. Like they're actually like, like quite plausible over time. In terms of getting a return, like you're, you're absolutely right. That, that's what needs to happen over the long term is companies need to be able to build business models on this stuff that either is driving revenue or driving efficiencies and saving costs or, or ideally both. I think there's already evidence that this is happening. It is, it is still early. You know, things like ChatGPT have only been around for a year, but there's already evidence that the models and, and, and different ways of doing things and leveraging this technology are happening. They're, they're getting built. It'll take some time. Um, but I'm, I'm confident that those those will happen. If they did not happen, by the way, that, that would be the kiss of death for this whole space. Like not not just NVIDIA, like lo- lots of names. Right? I don't think that's the case. All right. Stacy, great to speak with you. Thanks for your time. Uh, you bet. Anytime. Stacy Raskin of Bernstein. Do you like NVIDIA? Makes a good case. It is the cheapest on a forward basis. It's true. I mean, it's still extremely more expensive than most other things in the market. Um, you obviously want to own. I mean, we have it as a it's it's a piece of our portfolio. It's just nothing I'm jumping into right now. I don't think with where interest rates are going, it's something that I want to be chasing. I absolutely want to own it. I think longer term, um, AI is going to be the story. It's going to continue to, to benefit from that. But I wouldn't chase it at these levels by any means. I think what's underappreciated about NVIDIA is kind of the durability of, of this earnings power. And, and also that, so, you know, how long this spend has to go based upon the current demand trends, whatever your TAM is, but that also they are selling systems, not just chips. And this is part of what gives them also a greater piece of it. But what, what I, I guess what I would challenge, and I think it's cheap too, if you go out to 25, 26, the question is, how far out do you want to go? Because I'm staring at a report here from Cowan that's got consensus 24 uh, at 1090 a share. 
At 10.90 a share on 24, you know, we can do that math. Call it 11 bucks. I mean, this is trading at 46, 47 times. If you take it out to 25, where they've got consensus, actually consensus is closer to 19, Cowan goes up to 24 bucks a share, then you're at a really attractive level, and then you're trading inside of Intel, which is 23, 24 times. So um, I don't think it's expensive. It's hard for people to understand the dynamic. It's not, the, it's not hard. It's, it's difficult for people to run in and buy a stock that's had such a meteoric rise um, and up 230% year to date, when in fact, uh, a lot of this is based upon growth you're going to see next year. I do agree that there's that psychological barrier. You're long, right? I am. I am. I do agree that there's that psychological barrier, but I think that really you have to think about what the opportunity cost is. And and people will continue to spin, and by people I mean corporates, will continue to spin as long as there is a perceived opportunity cost of missing the boat. We've seen what's happened in the healthcare space with the weight loss drugs. You must be in the game to be relevant. This has been the larger, largest driver of growth that we've seen over the last 12 to 18 months. And large data set models are pervasive in every critical aspect of the economy. I just don't really understand how you cannot at least hold your nose and allocate something here. Because even if it's a modicum of of, uh, what your portfolio is, the potential growth far outweighs and makes up for it. It's essentially like a VC situation where one stock can return the portfolio. I I love NVIDIA, but it does get too extreme at these levels. Even for me, when I look at it, they're the ones that don't have the pixie dust. They're the ones that are actually making revenue off of these products already. So nothing to take away from Bono. I think he's spot on. For me, I'm trying to see, can I go to a Micron that is going to supply the storage for all the different AI companies, whether it's NAND or DRAM, Everyone got spooked out of Micron. It's, it's up, yes, but it's not nearly as up as the, as the rest of the space. Coming up, will the box office find the golden ticket with the Wonka debut this weekend? Or has the Grinch stolen all the glory of going to the movies this holiday season? We've got a live report next. And later, one of our traders is watching the juicy returns in this stock. Should you bite into this name? Mm. We'll reveal it wow. straight ahead. More Fast Money in 2. Welcome back to Fast Money. From blockbuster hits like Barbie to box office bombs like the Marvels, it's been a mixed year for movie theaters, but now they're hoping for a strong holiday season. Julia Borson joins us now with a look at what to expect for the end of the year and into next. I would imagine the writer's strike, the actor's strike, that sort of, I don't know, put a wrench in everything. It put a wrench in the fall, but right now the holiday season is off to a strong start with Warner Brothers Wonka opening with $3.5 million at the domestic box office last night. That puts it on track to gross as much as $40 million this weekend. And the film also opened with $43 million internationally over the past week. Now, Wonka will have to hold up throughout this holiday season into the new year to justify its $125 million budget, that's estimated. Now, Warner Brothers, whose stock is up 7% this week, has the most on the line of all of the studios this holiday season. It also has two other big budget films, a sequel to Aquaman, as well as The Color Purple, a a musical, and that one's from Oprah. The question is whether those franchises, along with some more Oscar-bait-type films and family movies, can boost the year's box office across the $9 billion milestone. Now, year-to-date, the box office is still $2 billion below 2019 levels, according to Comscore. And now, after a mixed year for theater chain stocks, there are concerns that next year the box office will decline 
from this year. That's actually J.P. Morgan's prediction, despite a range of big sequels and franchise films on the calendar, including Dune 2, Deadpool, Transformers, Lord of the Rings, even a Mean Girls movie. But looking at the 2025 slate of films, which includes a new Mission Impossible sequel and some big Marvel movies, J.P. Morgan forecasts that the 2025 box office will rebound. But a word of warning, Comscore's Paul DeGarabedian says that franchises are no longer safe havens for studios. Melissa, everyone is hoping for another surprise Barbenheimer phenomenon. I don't know. That seems like a, a rare thing. Julia, thank you. <laughs> Julia Borston. Uh, Courtney, how are you feeling about the box office and the studios? Yeah, I would actually say I think the actor strike and the writer strike had just less, led to a lot less content, whether it's in the box office or it's your, your traditional cable networks. Um, but actually, I think it's probably just going to continue to benefit places like the streaming services, where there, there's just so much content there. There's, there's series you can watch over and over, and the less there is in the box office, the more you're going to go continue your subscription with Netflix or continue your subscription with Disney, and I think that's going to continue. Sorry, can we translate the Barbenheimer? What, what does that like mean? Like the Barbie and the Oppenheimer. I, I mean, I get the it. Same. But, but two big hits. Two big yeah, opening the same them weekend. Yeah, same okay. time. Okay. Did you miss that whole thing? Obviously, I didn't see Barbie. Brad um, sorry. I there were a lot of people in my house that did. So, uh, coming up after a huge, <laughs> after a huge week for stocks, we're asking each of our traders what one chart is topping their minds, what they say you should keep an eye on when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Why have one when you can have four? That's right. It's Friday on Fast Money and it's Trader's Choice. Four charts of the week for you. Ladies first. Courtney, kick it off. What's your chart? Um, I want to take a look at the home builders here. Um, obviously, interest rates coming down or the expectation of that was the big news this week. And this is one industry that is really sensitive to interest rates changing. And I think one thing that's been really fascinating is it has done really well even in the face of higher interest rates all year. What's happening is, it's kind of fascinating, but really about 60% of homes out there have a mortgage. About 90% of those are at 4% interest rate or less, which means even with rates coming down, most people who own a home, rates aren't going to come down enough for it to be cheaper for them to sell it. And that's going to be beneficial for the home builders. But also, every time interest rates go down, it's going to bring this whole cohort of people who are suddenly now able to afford those homes, and it's going to continue to benefit them. So they benefited in general. Lower interest rates is going to make that continue to go better. Tim, what's your chart? Oh, what's good for uh, housing market is good for regional banks, which is my chart. And and I just, you know, I look at the 6.2% outperformance of the KRE relative to the S&P in a big week. Um, it just tells me that's that's the real economy at work. Again, regional banks are in a much better place, not only because uh, real estate dynamics, frankly, wealth effect, um, but, but obviously just an interest rate dynamic. Um, that, to me, is also part of this market broadening. And people have hated banks. Um, regionals have been the center of the storm. Uh, I think you can continue. Let's be clear here before we move on to the other charts. You're bringing these charts as charts of the week, but these are charts that you also like. You're constructive on banks mm -hmm. and you're constructive on home correct. Builders, correct? Yeah, uh, yes, mm -hmm. but I also think it's just very important for, for the market and for the tone. And what happened this week, the fact that you get this kind of move in banks is why it's my chart. All right, uh, Steve, what's shaken? Oh, I see what you did there. Shake Shack. So I originally bought this one about a week ago on Ray J's uh, price target increase, and they upgraded the stock uh, based on expanding margins, expanding footprint. There's only 500 Shake Shack locations globally. There's over 40,000 McDonald's. So there's a tremendous amount of room to grow off there. So that was the first step in, in, the, in the market rallying this week. 
The second one was the CEO is stepping down. Why is that a good thing? Randy Garuti has been there for 20 years, but at this point, he wants to spend more time with his family and they want to hire a growth CEO. So that's going to be another leg. International growth, uh, more kiosks, more drive throughs, a lot of upside. Bonwin, you're in the solar space this week. Yeah, surprise. I picked a sector that's interest rate sensitive as well. I think that's the prevailing theme this week. And you've seen first solar run from one mid 140s to 170. And I don't think that's to be overlooked. It seemed like this sector was kind of lost and forgotten. And you've seen that complete reversal on the back of uh, the Fed policy news. So I think you w- want to be in the in the areas that are a bit more sensitive to utilities rather than the retail suppliers. And I think first solar kind of fits squarely in that that hole. All right. Up next, final trade. Time for the final trade on this Friday. Tim. Well, congrats to our longtime producer, Bree Doyle, who's moving on to exciting uh, new pastures. So thank you for all your help, Bree. Petrobras, the largest position in the IDville. Yeah. Courtney. Dell. Um, we're actually about to hit that three-year cycle where after COVID, everybody got PCs. They're going to need them again. They also should get an AI boost here. I think it's probably something to take a look at. Bono in. Not going to fight the Fed. They've clearly given runway for growthier names for solar. Steve. It was a quick show. Feels quick, right? Yeah, Friday. a little bit. CRISPR, the first ever FDA approval for gene editing. It's been up and down. A lot of runway for the stock to move higher. Great to have you back, Courtney. And best of luck to Bree Doyle. Live ambitiously. (laughs) Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.